This is the Man of God Network, a podcast of Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary in Owensboro, Kentucky. This is the voice of the narrated Puritan. For other narrations, church history lessons, go to puritanaudiobooks.com. From a book called The Boston Revival of 1842 by Martin Moore, The Revival Among the Baptists. The First Baptist Church was gathered in May of 1665. This is at a time when the nature of religious liberty was very imperfectly understood. Our fathers that planted the Congregational Church of thought no other religious denomination had a right to come here and set up any other modes of worship or introduce any other religious ceremonies than those practiced by themselves. A remnant of popery was left even among those who supposed they had planted their churches on a primitive foundation. The individuals who founded this church had held meetings several years on the Sabbath before they were an organized body. For holding these meetings, they were severely fined and otherwise afflicted by the civil authorities. They then retreated to a private dwelling on Noddles Island. Here they, for a considerable length of time, continued their meetings when they resolved to build themselves a meeting house. In this, they succeeded in avoiding the suspicions of their opposers until their house was publicly dedicated February 15, 1679. The opening of this house so offended the civil authorities that they nailed up the doors and the following notice was posted upon the door, quote, All persons are to take notice that by order of the court the doors of this house are shut up and that they are inhibited to hold any meeting or to open the doors thereof without license from authority till the general court take further order as they shall answer the controversy at their peril dated at Boston, March 8, 1680. Edward Rawson, Secretary. On the following Sabbath they held public worship in the yard front of the meeting house. Soon after, the government ordered the doors to be opened again, but they resolved to take more effectual means to crush the church. Many of its members were harassed, fined, and imprisoned. Three of its first pastors were at different times put into close confinement. One of them was imprisoned for nearly three years. But after a time, the spirit of toleration began to be better understood. In 1718, several of the congregational clergy of Boston assisted in the ordination of Mr. Elisha Callender. I mention these facts to show how very imperfectly our fathers understood the nature of religious liberty, and not to cast reproaches upon their memory. Vital religion was maintained in this church. It shared in common with the other churches of Boston in the Great Awakening of 1740. Dr. Stillman, whose praise is still in the churches, became its pastor in 1765, and continued such until 1807. His was a long and successful ministry. During some of the last years of his ministry, he was permitted to witness a revival of religion of greater extent and power than had blessed his town since the memorable period of 1740. As this was the first season of special mercy that this town enjoyed in the early part of the present century, and as it was the first in the series of revivals that have since followed, its history has now become a matter of deep interest. In the Baptist Magazine of 1804 and 1805, this work is described... A special seriousness made its appearance in both Baptist churches early in 1803. Its first indications were a solemn stillness and a deep, fixed attention on the Sabbath. The work gradually continued to extend from week to week through two or three years. What are now known as inquiry meetings were not then instituted. But there was what amounted to the same thing. It has been usual during the fall, winter, and spring months, says the Baptist magazine. While the evenings were sufficiently long for the people to tarry after the blessing, 
and frequently some minister present has again addressed them. Sometimes two or three have spoken and prayed. This custom seemed to arise out of the feelings of the people. They appeared loath to leave the place. There is no doubt but they would have tarried until midnight had the exhortations been continued. The number gathered into the first church was 127, into the second, 185. Although these two societies have been the principal shares in the work, says the Baptist magazine, it has not been confined to them. Persons from almost every society and town and numbered from the adjacent towns have frequently attended on our lectures, and we have reason to believe that many have reaped saving advantages. The church, under the pastoral care of the Reverend Dr. Eckley, has received considerable additions since the work began. The good man's heart had been much engaged in the work, and would, we believe, have rejoiced to have seen it among his people. He has frequently attended and assisted in the public lectures in both of the Baptist meetings. It has afforded much pleasure to the friends of vital godliness to see this friendly connection. We earnestly hope that it may ever continue. The work was still and without confusion. The gospel preached was principally blessed. Almost everything seemed to preach. The converts generally had a deep sense of the depravity of their own hearts, of the infinite evil of sin. Is committed against an holy God. It reclaimed the profane swearer, the gambler, and the Sabbath breaker. It made the young men sober-minded. Reverend Dr. Clay succeeded Dr. Stillman. He had a ministry of about two years. The Reverend James M. Winchell was ordained in 1814 and continued his pastoral relation until his death in 1820. Dr. Whalen was pastor from 1821 to 26. Reverend C.P. Grossvener was minister for four years. Reverend William Haig was installed on February 5th of 1831 and dismissed of June of 1837. During his ministry, the Holy Spirit has frequently descended upon this church. The first year after his installation, 127 persons were admitted to the church. The year ending September of 1840, 75 were added to their number. This is a mother of all the Baptist churches in Boston. She has, from time to time, sent forth her numbers to assist in forming new churches. Her present number of members is 725. Of these, 27 were received by Dr. Stillman, 3 when the church was destitute of a pastor, 27 by Mr. Winchell, 14 by Mr. Grossvener, 134 by Mr. Haig, and 508 by Mr. Neal. 266 have been received the present year. The pastor says a majority of the converts are heads of families, businessmen in the vigor of life, strong, active, and enterprising. Our society men, the broad aisle pew proprietors who are generally gospel-hardened and the last to be converted are, with scarcely an exception, subjects of the work. The members of the singing choir, 60 or 70 in number, are nearly all converted. In the Sabbath school, many of the children have learned to sing hosannas to the son of David. The instrumentalities employed in the promotion of this work, says Mr. Neal, have been such as were employed in the great revival on the day of Pentecost, the preaching the gospel and prayer. The protracted meeting that continued during a period of nearly three months and in which Elder Knapp chiefly officiated is doubtless a chief agency to which under God this work of grace is to be attributed and from personal acquaintance with Mr. Knapp and a constant attendance on his ministry while in the city, I am not surprised at the results. 
if there is power in truth plainly and fearlessly expressed, if there is efficiency in prayer offered up in secret and in public, constantly and earnestly to God, and if a life of entire consecration to our divine Master's will contributes to the power of the pulpit and the prevalency of prayer, the success that attends the ministry of Mr. Knapp is not a matter of wonder, but is in accordance with the most reasonable expectations. The distinguishing peculiarity of Mr. Knapp's character in ministry is faith. He has no peculiar philosophy, no peculiar religious sentiments. He has no peculiar means and measures. But the truths which other Christians admit in theory are with him living realities. Hence, he is deeply and habitually in earnest, preaching and praying like one who believes what he says, and know the things whereof he affirms. He goes to his work with the most perfect confidence of success, seeming to say with the apostle, I run not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air. These are the views of one who had full opportunity to see and hear much of Mr. Knapp. But all good people have not the same views of his mode of preaching or his method of conducting inquiry meetings. Many feel strong objections to them both. But I think there is wisdom in the reply made by a certain minister and a parishioner who asked him what he thought about his going to hear Mr. Knapp. Oh, he said, if he casts out devils in the name of the Lord, we must not forbid him if he does not follow us. Particular Cases of Conversion Connected with the First Baptist Church One man had, for a series of years, been a drunkard in the city of New York. Two years ago, last winter, his landlord expelled him out of his house in the midst of the cold season because he had failed to pay his rent. His wife told the landlord that it was impossible for them to go, that they had no place to which they could flee. She was then expecting to be confined within a week. Her landlord had some compassion on her and told her that they might go into the building over his ice house, a sort of shanty place. Here they passed the winter. The husband frequently came home drunk. In the spring, they came on to Boston. The husband joined the Total Abstinence Society. She attended meeting and was converted. She soon brought her husband with her. It was not long before he was convicted of sin, arose in a prayer meeting, and solicited the prayers of God's people. In a little while he gave up his heart to the Savior, was baptized, and thus far has maintained a life of visible piety. In another case, a man of respectable family became dissipated, abandoned his family, and was absent from the country a considerable length of time. On his return, his wife received him again and still hoped that he would reform. He came into the meeting where he had not been for years and went home deeply affected. He was so distressed that he could not sleep during the silent watches of the night. He had before this been into an infidel meeting, heard the Bible and the Holy Ghost ridiculed. Even this tended to fasten conviction more deeply on his mind. He felt that he was so wicked that there was nothing but the Holy Ghost that could subdue such a heart as his. This is his only hope. He is now a member of the church, restored to his family as a husband and a father. Three brothers, all rum sellers, have renounced the traffic and embrace a religion that does no ill to its neighbor. During the progress of this work, eight rum sellers in this congregation have given up the traffic. The consciences of others have been disturbed for a time who finally have not abandoned the work of death. Baldwin Place Church This church was formerly known by the name of Second Baptist Church. Six brethren entered into covenant and constituted this church on July 27th of 1743. Additions were made to their number and in a short time they increased to 40. Their first pastor was Mr. Ephraim Bound, who was selected from among themselves. 
was ordained September 7th of the same year. This ordination took place at East Greenwich, Rhode Island, for the sake, as the record says, of those elders who were invited by us to assist and who lived remote and at a great distance from Boston. Additions were made to their numbers from most of the towns within 20 miles round. In 1746, they numbered 120 and erected a meeting house 45 by 33 feet. The Reverend James Knowles was the pastor of this church ordained on December 28, 1825. He continued their pastor nearly seven years and was then dismissed to enter upon the duties of professor in the Newton Seminary. 260 persons joined the church under his ministry. The installation of the Reverend Baron Stowe, the present pastor, took place on November 15, 1832. Since his settlement, 857 have been baptized, and the church numbers 861. It is supposed that this is the largest church in New England of any denomination. About 80 were dismissed to aid in forming the church at Bowden Square, and a large number previously to constitute the churches at Chelsea, the Bolston Church, and the church under the care of the Reverend Mr. Culver, the church at Charleston, the two churches at Cambridge, the church at Waterton, South Boston and Federal Street are all indebted to this church for many of their members. She has been a fruitful vine that has sent forth her branches in various directions. This church is characterized by its enlarged benevolence, its uniform harmony, the sociality and mutual confidence of its members, the attachment existing between the people and its pastor, and its interest in the religious instruction and education of the young. It is connected with it the largest Baptist Sabbath school in the city. This church has largely participated in the revival of the present year. 187 have been baptized. A number of individuals attribute their conversion under God to the preaching of Mr. Knapp. Others were awakened, some by one means and others by others. We have not discovered, says an associational letter, any difference between these converts and those received at other times and in other circumstances. The revival commenced in the autumn and continued through the winter and spring. The meeting house is now undergoing extensive repairs and the congregation is much scattered. This church has now attained to its 99th year. It is now enfeebled by old age, but is more strength and vigor at the present time than it has ever had in any past period of its history. The greatest fault to be found with it is that its numbers are too large. There is not room for them all to work. They stand in each other's way. Were the church divided and did it occupy two houses, they would feel their individual responsibility more, and they would accomplish more for the cause of Zion. I hope that ere long they will send forth an infant colony that will soon have the vigor and strength of a full-grown man. Charles Street Baptist Church. This church was organized in 1807. It then numbered 24 members. The Reverend Mr. Blood was its first pastor. D. Sharp, present pastor, was installed April 1812. This church has enjoyed several seasons of special interest, particularly in 1821, 1828, in 1829. Year after year, there have been moderate in-gatherings. More than 400 members have at different times been dismissed to aid in organizing other churches. In a letter to the last association, this church says, we have nothing new or surprising to relate. We have embraced no new doctrines, nor have we resorted to any new measures. We still hold fast to form of sound words, nor is the preaching of our pastor either as to doctrine or practice different from what it was when he came among us 31 years ago.
The pastor has remained a longer period in his office than any of his brethren of the same denomination. Neither the pastor or church are given to change. They are not carried away with novelties and doctrines or novelties and measures. They hold on to the good old way. Present number of the church, 370. Added in the last year, 17. Federal Street Baptist Church. This church originated in the Boston Baptist Evangelical Society. Meetings were first held in a hall in Purchase Street. In 1827, they removed to Julian Hall in Milk Street. The church was constituted of 65 members, July 16, 1827, and a meeting house was opened on the 18th of the same month. The Reverend Howard Malcolm was installed November 15, 1827. He was dismissed September 1835. Reverend Mr. Zide and Knott have each been pastors for a short period. Reverend William Haig, the present pastor, was installed July 1840. For some years previous to this, as a printed record, accessions of families to the congregation had been very few. While large droughts had been made on it by removals from the city and by new churches formed in the city about this time. In March of 1839, 31 members, many of them heads of families, were dismissed to unite with others in forming the Boston Church, and in the following April 31st were dismissed at the formation of the Free Baptist Church. Nineteen were soon after dismissed to Boyden Square. A large portion of the church in South Boston went out from this. The associational letter says, During the past year, the labors of their pastor have been twice suspended by disease and many of their numbers have, from various causes, been absent from the city. They have, however, enjoyed an interesting revival in which the Sabbath school is particularly shared. They have been making an effort to rid themselves of a debt of 15000 on which account they have been able to do less than usual for benevolent objects. This revival was carried on by the church in its organized capacity. The pastor, deacons, and private Christians labored in their several spheres to promote it. The number added to the church has been 85. The present number of church members, 476. The South Boston Baptist Church. This church was gathered in 1831. The pastor says the church was revived some month before the Reformation commenced. No conversions occurred till sometime in January of 1842. There have been received into the church upon the profession of their faith, 133. Some of these had indulged hopes before the revival, and some are indulging hopes that they have not yet professed religion. Of those who have joined the church, about one-fifth have alluded to Brother Knapp as arousing their old hope, or being directly or indirectly the instrument of their conviction and conversion. A few have spoken of Brother Miller as the cause of their thoughtfulness, which ended in submission to God, though not believing in the theory of 1843. I should think that fasting and prayer... Exhortations and individual efforts of both old and young Christians and young converts have had a large share in the instrumentality visibly seen. We have had several fast days, one of which will never be forgotten by the members of this church. Nine thought that they became reconciled to God before the meeting closed. One in the bitterness of his soul cried out for mercy while prayer was offering to God, so loud in accent, so heart-touching, that a thrill of indescribable feeling passed through the whole assembly. He is now an exemplary Christian. We had regular prayer meetings on Saturday evening for all who should be named either verbally or by note as subjects of prayer. This meeting was much blessed. Thirteen husbands of pious wives who were among those named in this meeting to how human appearances were converted. 
Pious wives held meetings to pray for their impenitent husbands. The Holy Spirit's operations were most manifest and sovereign through the whole work. One female who had not been to meeting but once in five years, whose husband said that she must obtain religion at home, was struck under conviction at home before she saw either meeting house or minister, and was apparently converted to God. Another female about 65 years of age had her attention arrested by an infidel saying to her several times, for the purpose of ridicule, prepare to meet thy God. She is now a member of this church. A man who had commenced life with a large fortune and run the whole round of dissipation was converted at the eleventh hour. Having spent a large fortune in vice, he was asked by a friend, How do you feel when you think of what you have done? Think, he said. Joe, you think that I am such a dot, dot fool as to stop to think? He was finally taken sick, and when he recovered, he tried to return to one of his old vices, drinking spirit, but found that his head was too weak. He then resorted to wine, but this was too strong for him. Even cider and beer used him no better. The consequence was that he began to think and soon found his way to the house of God, which he had seldom visited for twenty years. His convictions increased, and for twelve months he might be found every day upon his knees in a stable. His friend thought him beside himself. At length he was brought into the liberty of the gospel, the standing marvel of drunkards, gamblers, and debauchees. He is now full enough to think. Another individual, who on the anniversary of Tom Paine's birthday, 1841, dined with a company of infidels at a private house and drank with others the following toast. The Bible and priestcraft may live to see them both trampled in the mud under our feet was of the number that were converted. He had been made the subject of special prayer by several of his friends a number of years before his conversion. The individual who gave the toast at the Tom Paine dinner was deprived of health and in a fit of derangement killed himself. He was confined by his sufferings in the four-story of a boarding house and in his delirium thought that the devil was after him and to escape his grasp plunged out of the window and falling upon the curbstone dashed his brains out. This occurrence led his acquaintance to reflect upon his life. He became a temperate man. His conviction still increased. He, however, found a determination that he would not be converted in the vestry of the South Baptist Church. But God's wills or ways are not as man's wills or ways. On the anniversary of Tom Paine's birthday, 1842, he came into the evening meeting in a state little short of despair. He asked prayers in broken accents that God would have mercy on a soul for Christ's sake. And before he left the vestry, he found peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There was one more case of an individual who had agreed to go to meeting in company with another opposer, who a short time before had challenged all God's people to pray for him, a universalist, to give the second challenge. His hatred was so great to the truth that he took his companion out of the house of God in service time, but now is an humble penitent worshiper in the same house. Present number of the church, 317. Thomas Driver, pastor. Pastor.